Good to see you. Let me look at you for a minute here. Thank you. <laughs> I was sitting on front. You know, you came in and I didn't have a chance to look. Boy, it's a real privilege to be here with you today. My name is Frank Catanzaro. Um, that's not a typical Texas. It's more somebody said they were in New York this week. You'd run in a lot of Catanzaros in New York, but they're all kind of, you know. If you don't know what that means, ask me later. <laughs> My real name is Pancrazio Franco Giuseppe Catanzaro. You can call me that if you like. It's a <laughs> or not. It's, it's a, whichever. It's just Frank is good. I uh, appreciate so much uh, being here with you. I was here with you a couple of years ago. I think it was in January, over there, in what is now slightly modified. Yeah, your pastor took me on a tour earlier. It looks a little different than it did two years ago, but. It's, it's a good thing. So it's good to see you again if you were here before. It's good to see you for the first time if you weren't. Uh, your pastor has been doing a wonderful thing, uh, this series on assurance that he's been doing. He asked me about this several months ago, if I'd be willing to come and share today. And uh, boy, I'm always grateful for the opportunity to do that. Um, it's just really a blessing to be able to come and, and do those kinds of things. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8 today, and I want you to turn there if you have your Bibles or your phones or your iPads or whatever else it is that you look at the Bible on. Um, do Kindles have Bibles on them? I don't have a Kindle. I don't know. Can you get a Bible for a Kindle? I don't, I don't, I don't know. You must be able to, surely. I, I, don't, I don't have one of those devices. But anyway, um, so whatever device you have, if you have a, the written word, that's always good. I like them better because I, I write all over it, and it's, I know you can do that. But I'm technically challenged. I'm, I'm waiting for the sunspot to take us all back to, I mentioned in the earlier service, points and condensers. They, they work, you know, all the, some of you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Get a 69 Volkswagen. It'll work after the sunspot, but your 90s and above car will not run. Sorry. Just the way it goes. All right. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in that in a minute. You know, we, we had a, an event, a couple of events in the last couple of weeks. Um, you remember, I'm sure you've all been aware of the fact that Billy Graham died a few weeks ago. And, and uh, what, a, what a faithful testimony. Uh, I, I was watching, I forget, one of the channels. And there was a, uh, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association had produced a one-hour uh, like a biography of his life and how he got into ministry and all that. It's really very, if you have a chance to see it, I think they, I think they were running on one of the, on maybe Fox News or something, some other channel I saw and watched part of it even again. It, it, uh, it, uh, it had an emotional impact on my life. My family um, had some relationship with uh, not so much Billy Graham, but his uh, evangelistic. My father is a world-class pianist and organist. He, he's played all over the world. And for years, he played for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. He did a couple of the large crusades, but usually he was doing, and some people are not even aware of this, there were small crusades going on all the time in churches. Uh, Billy Graham just didn't do the large stadiums, and a guy named Grady Wilson and some other couple of other guys were doing these uh, crusades in churches around the country. And my dad would play the organ or piano, whichever they needed. He did play in the... Um, larger crusades from time to time if somebody was sick. But uh, So we've known them for years. Um, we knew um, 
uh, I only met Billy Graham one time, I think I was six years old, but um, Cliff Barrows was the, the worship leader guy, and he was a friend of my dad's, and, and he just died a few years ago, and we were in their home, they lived in Greenville, South Carolina, which is where we lived, and um, my dad taught his kids piano, and uh, when I heard that he died, it had an impact, I attended several of the crusades, I'm sure many of you have as well, but I had a former student whose name is Shane Russell. Uh, when I, I used to teach at Southeastern Seminary up in North Carolina. And uh, about 15 years ago, this guy was my student. And when he graduated, he went to pastor a church in Alabama where he still serves. And he wrote something, um, I don't know if you call it a blog. I don't, I don't know what categorizes a blog. I, I don't read them, so. I, but maybe that's what this is. And it was on Facebook, which I don't have either. See, I've fully informed you now that I'm completely not uh, up with the times. I don't tweet because... To me, that just sounds like something a guy shouldn't do, you know? <laughs> I mean, if it was called barking, I might do it, but it's not. It's, it's tweeting, and I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm just a little uncomfortable with the whole concept of tweeting. I know, I'm a counseling professor, and I need it. So, you know, that's what... But anyway, that's beside the point. This guy, Shane Russell, wrote this article, and my son, who has a Facebook account, sent it to me. Now you got it, okay? But I want to read this to you because you know also last week Stephen Hawking died, right? Everybody knows who Stephen Hawking is. So here's what he wrote, and it's very apropos to what we're going to talk about today. In the past month, we have witnessed the death of two very prominent but vastly different people, Stephen Hawking and Billy Graham. Hawking was a brilliant and distinguished physicist who made much of creation. Graham was a brilliant and distinguished preacher who made much of Christ. Completely different. While one devoted his life seeking to help others understand the present life he knew was passing away, the other devoted his life to help others understand the next life he knew was to come. As is true of us all, both face death. Yet the way they approached the inevitability of death was as different as they approached life. I regard the brain, this is a quote, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark, said Stephen Hawking. A fairy story. And that, for those of you that are believers, means that you're afraid of the dark. Here's another quote by Billy Graham. Each of us is given the exact same amount of seconds, minutes, and hours per day as anyone else. The difference is how we redeem them. You cannot count your days, but you can make your days count. The future is as bright as the promises of God. You see, one anticipated the end and the other one the end of the beginning. The truth is that the one who claimed fairy tales of people afraid of the dark actually entered into eternal darkness, while the one who claimed the promises of God entered into glorious light. One made a temporal contribution that dies with the earth, and the other made an eternal contribution that lives in heaven. For one, this is his testimony, this is a quote, scriptural quote, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are with, without excuse. Because 
although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, the birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. For the other, this is his testimony, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Two men, two lives, two contributions, two deaths, two eternities. The one who was born once dies twice. The one who was born twice died once. Life is too precious to spend investing for limited return and too short to gamble with eternity. My student wrote, come to Jesus and live. I'm profoundly, it's been an interesting couple of weeks since uh, he died. Um, Knowing the simplicity of his message, watching that biography, or, or whatever you would call it, I don't even know what you would call it, but um, the message was simple. It wasn't about him, it was about the Savior. It wasn't, I'm Billy Graham, I've spoken to millions of people all over the world, listen to what I have to say. He never said that. He, he, he would always just say, it's Jesus, trust in Jesus. Confess your sin, repent, trust in Jesus, follow Jesus. It didn't matter where he was or who he was talking to, um, whether it was governments or on television programs or whatever. I'm grateful for uh, Frank Franklin, who's not quite the preacher his dad was, but he's great at communicating the gospel in 30 seconds. They'll ask him on, and even his, his Franklin's son, Will, was my student at South Eastern. And Will is the same way. They can share the gospel at the drop of a hat. And it just, it's just an amazing thing. Where does that come from, folks? Where does that come from? Yeah, you're right. It comes, it's a gift from God. That's exactly right. But it also comes from a faith that's unshakable. That's where the faith is given to us by the Lord. His truth is empowered in us by his spirit when we trust him. And that's where this idea of being convinced of our salvation comes from. I look at my own life, y'all, and I'm a failure in many ways. You know, people say, well, look, you've been in ministry all these years. You've been a pastor, and then you've been a professor, and blah, 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 blah. You know, the, all the bogus, I mean, it's not bogus, pearly gates, but... Uh, St. Peter standing at the pearly gates when we get there to let us in or not let us in. That's the bogus part, okay? But if that were true, all these things that I've done would be not very important. It's what I've done with Jesus, what I've believed and what I've committed my life to. Same thing is true for you. It doesn't matter whether you got $10 million in the bank or $10 in the bank. None of that's going to impress anybody, you see. But have you trusted Christ? This passage that we have today really helps us with that because Paul did a wonderful thing for us uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he gave us these words in uh, my assignment was to preach 31 through 39 
your pastor assigned it to me, but I'm his professor. <laughs> by the way, by the way, you need to pray for him on Friday. He's got a really big exam at 1.30. And then you can call him doctor whatever. That's assuming that he actually passes the exam. <laughs> it's a done deal, man. Well, I'm not the chair of that committee, so you know I'm just the second reader. But I'm going to back up a couple of verses because I think it sets up what we're going to do. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which is one of the most abused uh, scripture verses in all the Bible. People use it in all kinds of wrong ways all the time, I guess to make them feel better. But, okay, go ahead. Anyway, it says, and we know that God, I'm, and by the way, I'm reading from New American Standard, so if this is different, it says the same. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Okay? Now, the problem with this verse, the big problem with this verse is, is that most people who use it don't use the next verse. Because the next verse gives this one context. You should always do that. When you're memorizing scripture, memorize passages. It's much better, even when you're reading through you know, a lot of people think a verse a day keeps the devil away, you know, and they open their Bible and they do like that, and they read the verse and they say, okay, I'm good to go. Not so much. Because read the next verse, verse 29. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, this is not talking about salvation, it's talking about to become conformed to the image of his son. So God works together for good, in all things for good, to those who are called, and here's the reason, so that we will become more like Christ. Now, you know, with the principle of refining fire and all these kinds of things, it doesn't always mean that everything's going to be good, y'all. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we do, you know, I teach counseling, and one of the things that we do that's a big mistake, and people, my students are always questioning me about this, sometimes we get in the way of what God's trying to do in people's lives, by trying to make them feel better in their moment of their pain. And you say, come on, Frank, I thought we were Christians. We're supposed to want to do that. Well, I, I got that. And then the next question is the one that I can't answer. So how do I know when to, you know, just sort of step back? Well, you, I don't know. That's where you and the Holy Spirit and your prayer life comes into play. You know, immediately somebody's in pain and we want to put our arm around them and say, oh, come on, it's, it's going to be okay. Well, first thing, you don't ever say that because you don't know that. And second thing, maybe you just need to say, you know what, I'm here. I love you. I'm walking with you. Let's see what happens. It's going to be fun. Isn't it? Maybe I'll take a step back. It's what Aaron said to the followers of Korah in number 16. Remember? They had mishandled the fire and Aaron said, y'all that following Korah, you get over there and you guys that are with me and Moses, let's take a step back real quick. And that's in number 16, the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and his followers into hell. You see, I don't know what God's going to do in your life or you don't know what God's going to do in my life, but we're to bear one of those burdens like it says in Galatians 6.2. But sometimes we've got to figure out and trust the Holy Spirit to let us know when to step back and when to get engaged. I wish there was some formula that God would give us, but he doesn't. It's too easy. That's the refining fire, see? So it helps us to be conformed. He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be firstborn among many brethren. And these, who we're talking about, you and I, 
whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. And the Greek word, because we don't think of glorification in terms of being in this life. We, we think of justification being this life, the point in time when you trust Jesus. We think of sanctification being in this life, the time between your, your faith in Christ and when you, and then glorification occurred. But here it is right here, and Paul's saying, it's such a sure thing. Listen, he mentions it now. The Spirit of God leads him to mention it right now. Your glorification is a done deal because you won't actually understand it or experience it until you stand before the Lord, but it's a, it's a sure thing, you see. It's not something you have to go, somebody says, well, you trusted Christ, you're going to be in heaven when you die. You don't have to say, well, I don't know. I'm trying. If that's your testimony, maybe you need to check up a little bit. I'm trying to be saved. I can't try, y'all. I can't be good enough to be acceptable to God. It's not within my ability to do that. I can walk by faith and I can trust him, but I can't be good enough to, to begin that relationship. It's by faith. And then verse 31, Paul's, Paul's sort of coming around the corner here. And as you're reading this, you almost sense that he's getting more and more excited about what he's presenting. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who's bigger than God? Who's stronger than God? Is Stephen Hawking? You see, here's one of the things that people don't understand, I don't think, is that people who don't know the Lord, they need knowledge. Because knowledge gives them the sense that they got a handle on it. But it's deceptive. Knowledge is deceptive. I'm not saying don't learn and don't try to, you know, enrich your life and all these kinds of things. I'm saying that don't rely upon that for security when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. You see, I don't know what the thief on the cross believed, but he believed enough to be saved. What did he understand? I'm not really sure. When the young child comes to Christ, I'm not sure what they believe. Do they believe, do they understand substitutionary atonement or the hypostatic union of Christ? That's one of those seminary words. I like to throw it out. <laughs> That's fully God, fully man. I mean, can you explain that to me? I can't. You see, what do we believe? We know that we're sinners. We know that our sin separates us from God. And we believe by faith that what Christ accomplished on the cross made the atonement for our sin. So we put our faith in him. We trust in him. We commit our lives to him. You see, that's what it's really all about. And that's, that's what we're going right here. So if God is for us, who can be against? Who, he who did not spare his own son. Listen to this. But delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? You notice the order there? It goes from the, the strong to the weak. Or the more important to the less important. A lot of times if we're trying to build our case for our own, you know, responsibility or respectability, we start with the little things, you see. But, but Paul is saying here under the inspiration of the Spirit, look, Jesus, God gave us his son. Now, why wouldn't he give you these smaller things? He, he gave you his son. So we can try. Why do we worry, fret, and fear over little insignificant things as if God cannot provide them? When he gave us his son. You see. This is like you and I worrying about, well, what will happen if I die? Or what will, you know, I mean, he gave us his son, y'all. This life is very temporary. 
I mean, Billy Graham lived to be 99 years old, but it was just a moment in time. When he stood before the Lord in heaven a few weeks ago, what do you think he was thinking about, the 99 years on the earth? You think he was thinking about all his big crusades and all that? It almost brings me to tears. He's like, oh, my Savior. And what are our priorities? We strut and struggle to get, to gain, to keep, but we got the wrong priorities. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one, this is verse 33, who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. You see, if there is anybody who can condemn us, it's God, and he hasn't, because he's saved us through Christ, his son. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. Just as it is written, this is quoting Psalm 44. For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were, we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And what Paul was bringing to mind here is the idea, it's always been this way for Christians. Christians have always been sort of under the gun. And let me tell you what, folks, you can see it if you watch the news or are familiar with our culture at all. We're, we're, it's not getting easier to be a Christian in this world. I mean, as long as you go along or get along to go along or whatever that saying is and never reveal who you are, who your identity, what your identity actually is, you can get along just fine. But the first time you say you're a Christian or you pray in public or do something else like that, it's going to bring, it, it just causes problems. By virtue of you just living according to what you know is to be true, you'll get persecuted or you'll be called a hater or something. If you love Jesus, you're a hater. Anybody been called that yet? Probably. Especially at schools and stuff like that. It's really tough. To, to I'm glad I teach in a seminary. I, I, I get to be openly Christian there. But even that, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But see, that's what Paul was saying is that even in the, uh, in the midst of all this, um, uh, uh, we shouldn't be worried about it so much because this is just what um, what's coming. You see, Romans, the whole book of Romans is really exciting uh, because it's a descriptive book. It describes our problem, all sin, chapter 3, and falls short of the glory of God. That's the universal problem that we all have. We're all sinners. We were born sinful, and we chose it. My thing is falling off here. It's all right. All sin, we all, and that's in, that's in this book. It describes what God did, Romans 5. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did we deserve this? We all deserve hell, y'all. It's only by the grace of God that we can avoid that and spend eternity with the Father in the presence of the Son. Isn't that great? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then it describes how to be saved. Um, you can be saved by faith. Romans 10, 9, and 10 talks about, you know, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. You'll be saved. There's nothing that you and I can do, and I'm sure glad, because I'm sure that if I did it, I'd probably mess it up. See, it's not about performance. It's about faith. And then it describes the result of that salvation, and that's what we're looking at here today. The result of that salvation is that, but in all these things, verse 37, we overwhelmingly cope. Is that what your Bible says? It says conquer. 
and I said the word cope because I'm trying to make a point. In my, in my area of whatever it is, I'm not going to say expertise because what is that? Anyway, coping. Christian books have written learning to cope with your problems and cope, cope, cope. You, let me tell you, you will not find that in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say anything about coping with anything. Why? What is coping? It's just getting by. It's learning to live. You know, I'm a little short. Well, most of my friends are taller than I. Um, and I've just, I've just learned to cope with my shortness. <laughs> As if the stature of our bodies has anything to do with our value to the Lord. No, 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 no. The Bible knows nothing of this idea. If you've bought those books out there by these Christian authors, I, I'm not, I'm not going to question their Christianity, but I, I question their exegesis of Scripture. You're just not going to find those principles in the Bible. Well, you just need to learn to struggle and cope. No, 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 no. Romans 8.37 says, In all these things, what things? All those things, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, in all those things, or even being killed, as it says there, quoting Psalm 44, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And it's not because of our great performance, it's because of what Christ did for us on our behalf. And the righteousness that we possess, you say, well, Frank... I'm not that righteous. Well, if you're born again, the Bible says that you're declared to be righteous by Christ. We have his righteousness. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. Otherwise, we're in a little bit of trouble. You see, because God cannot receive anything but perfection. And so, listen, one of the big things I hear all the time is, well, you know, um, um, I'm only human. As if to explain my sin by the fact that it's okay for me to sin because I'm human, and that's what humans do. We sin. No, no, we don't have to. I am human, but I'm also possessed by the very Spirit of God. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, don't ever say you're only human to justify a sin, especially, or even to justify a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes in life. But don't justify it by saying I'm only human because we overwhelmingly conquer in Christ Jesus. It's not, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm talking about relying upon the Spirit of God who gives us insight into what the Word of God teaches and gives us energy and gifts us to perform the ministries to which God has called us. And He's called us. That's why you're here. That's why you're a part of First Baptist Church of Weatherford. Because God has brought you to this congregation as a family to use the gifts you've been given. Well, what are my gifts? I don't know. What do people say are your gifts? Are you a helper? Are you a teacher? Are you, you know, whatever the, all those gifts are, that's for another day, you see. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer, verse 37, through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and this is the part that gets really exciting. It's like Paul has been sort of explaining this, and it seems to me like this part of the passage doesn't really need interpretation or any kind of, uh, you know, um, explanation. It's almost like Paul is excited and he's building it to a climax here. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate from us from the love of God 
which is in Christ Jesus. See, it's God's love that, that we have access through Christ Jesus. There's a, there's a guy by the name of Mounts. If you studied Greek, you've probably read his, his, uh, his he teaches you how to read and understand Greek. Um, you may want to read him, you may not. Uh, a lot of the people at the seminary are required to, but you know. But he had a quote, and I wanted to read this quote to you. Um, it, he said, a person's salvation, listen, is not something that took place sometime in the past with little or no impact on the present. By, by definition, a relationship is a continuing affair. It's a vital, ongoing love for God that is necessary prerequisite for his active intervention in the affairs of our lives. You see, it's a relationship. It's a continuing affair. I remember probably 25 years ago, uh, I was serving a church when I was a pastor in northern Mississippi, and uh, uh, an older couple came to me for counsel. And this guy was a big, he was a farmer, he was strong, he was very sort of flat affect. He'd kind of look at you and you're wondering if he's getting ready to punch you in the jaw or if he was going to hug you and say good morning. But he was just that kind of guy, you know, he's all very straight. And he's sitting on my sofa on that end and his wife is sitting on this end. And she's very, um, I don't know how to describe it, very emotional. She was crying and she looked at him and she was looking at me and they were having some marital issues and they'd come for counsel and she's like, <laughs> he never tells me that he loves me. Did I do that well? I thought that was pretty good. And that, <laughs> he just never tells me. And he kind of looked at her with this irritated look. It was kind of, it was really weird. I was wondering what's coming out of his mouth now. And he looked at her and he said, woman, he said that. I didn't say that. That was what he said. Woman, 25 years ago, I told you I loved you. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. Now, I mean... <laughs> Now, guys, let me just tell you right now, not just as a counselor, but just as, you know, don't ever say that to your wife. <laughs> Dear, I love you. I, I'll just tell you right now. I love you. I love you. <laughs> More than ever. Yeah. Look, and that's what Mounts was saying about our walk with the Lord. A person's salvation is not something that took place. Some, I realize there's a point in time when we're born again, but our salvation should be as real to us today as it ever was, you see. And if it's not, there's something going on. God hasn't changed, y'all. There's something going on in our lives that has caused our salvation to become less real, you see, and it's, that's even our perspective on it. If you've ever been born again, then you're just as born again as you ever were. Maybe your sense of your saveness has changed, but that's not God's fault. That's not God's fault. So we see, as, as, uh, as Paul is just going through this thing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's almost an excitement that's built here. Not life, not angels, not principalities, things present, or things to come, or powers, or height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let me ask you this. As you reflect upon that, is that a real reality in your life from day to day? See, a lot of times what we do is we wake up in the morning, we put our feet on the floor, and the first thing we think about is, oh, what a day I'm going to have today. 
Or we say, you know, when you get to be my, I'm, I'm, I'll be 64 this year. Um, I know you all thought I was in my 40s. It's okay. Uh, it's not true. Uh, uh, or do we, do we do that little spin on the side of the bed, put our feet on the floor and think, where am I going to hurt today? I usually don't have to think about it because when I take that first step up off the side of the bed, I'm like, oh, yeah. There it is, you know, and then, you know, it takes me about 10 minutes to actually stand upright, you know, after getting, you see, is that the focus of our lives? No, you're right. It shouldn't be. What should be the focus? Go ahead, say it again. She's not listening. (laughs) Our focus should be God and his glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all the glory of God. So let me ask you a question. When you put your feet on the floor in the morning, are you thinking actively about glorifying God in your job? Or are you just thinking about that job I gotta go to? Is that okay? Will that break? Okay. No, okay, good. You know, are you thinking about guys, married guys, when you put your feet on the floor in the morning, you think about Now, how can I be a blessing to my wife today, which I know would glorify God because I'm called to love her as Christ loved the church? Or are you thinking about maybe the little argument you had because she said something to you about leaving your socks in the middle of the floor before you went to bed last night? I know nobody here ever leaves their socks in the middle of the floor. You see. Wives, what about that? When you put your feet on the floor... Are you thinking about glorifying God? You know, by you, you want to talk about assurance of salvation? Let me tell you about assurance. If the glorification of God, if glorifying God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Colossians 3, 17, other verses, becomes the preeminent drive of your life, the assurance will be there. I've been, uh, I was a pastor for 20 years and, and, uh, in various capacities, and then uh, uh, I've been teaching now for 20 years and um, this is sort of the application I believe of the message that we've got Um, particularly at the end of semesters I get a lot of students in my office and a lot of them want to talk to me about but they'll sit down in my office across the desk and they'll say um, daughter cat they're too lazy to say cat and zero by the way so anyway daughter cat um, I just don't know if I'm saved you know, you want to go, what? They're seminary students. they got to write their testimonies on their application before they're even accepted into the school. But this happens every semester. Every sing- I've been doing this for 20 years. Every single semester. And it usually happens more towards the end. I don't know why. Dr. Cat, I, I just don't even know if I'm saved. And I'll say, well, what do you mean you don't know if you're saved? Well, I just don't know. Well, let me ask you a question. What is biblical salvation? I could ask most or all of you that question. What is biblical salvation? You could take me right to the scripture and say, well, God said, and God said, or like Billy Graham, and the Bible says, you see, and everything they say to me is exactly what the Bible says about salvation. And then I'll ask them, do you believe that? Well, yeah, Dr. Cat. I mean, what else could I believe? I know I can't be saved by my works, but the Bible says by faith, through Christ Jesus, believe, commit, surrender. I believe that. 
So what am I supposed to say to them then? I mean, it's not, well, here, take this pill and you'll be saved. Or, you know, write out, I love Jesus 50 times on a chalkboard or something. Do they still do that in school when you mess up? Make you write. Sanitary. You know what the deal is. Here's the deal. You see, I told you a minute ago what, what, what uh, confirms assurance. It's seeking to glorify God with your life moment by moment. What takes away assurance? Unconfessed sin. It's not sin. You see, if you're truly born again, sin won't make you lost. But sin can destroy, listen, sin can destroy your fellowship with the Lord. It can rob you of fellowship. Just like in a marriage or just like, you know, kids, if you disobey your parents, you know there's, there's a problem between you and your parents. You're still their child. Husbands and wives, if there's some conflict between the two of you, it destroys the fellowship. You're still married, but it destroys the fellowship, you see. It's the same thing, and that's what I'd say to the student. What's your sin? And they, they always say the same thing. Well, what do you mean, what's my sin? I'm like, what is your sin? And then they all got, oh, I don't understand what you mean. Well, are you committing adultery? No, 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 I'm not doing that. Well, are you stealing money from your church? No, no, no. I would, are you like pilfering um, toothbrushes at Walmart or something? I don't know. You know that's got to be sinful, right? You know, I mean, there's a whole list of sins. I mean, there's thousands of things on there. What's your sin? Well, when I make it personal like that, we usually find out what it is. Well, let's get down on our knees right now. Let's talk to the Lord about it. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're struggling with assurance, what's your sin? If you know for certain that you've trusted Christ as your Savior, there is no other way to be saved. It's only by faith in Christ, committing your life to Him, walking by faith in Him, surrendering your will to His will, all these things are descriptive of what salvation is. If you came to the Lord and said, okay, I'm going to pray and ask God to save me, but I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it, well, we got a problem. Because that's not salvation. If you're counting on the fact that at one point in time, if you've been a member of this church for a long time, I'm assuming there's a baptistry over there. I haven't actually seen it, but I'm assuming since it's a Baptist church that maybe you got dunked in that baptistry over there. Uh, if you're counting on that to save you, we got a problem. You see. So if you know for certain that you've trusted Christ as your Savior, then what's the source of the doubt? Well, it's going to be unconfessed sin. It's just going to be. Now, is it important for you to go back 25 years and relive and rehash whatever that thing was that you somehow or another got in your brain that you did or said or I don't know whatever or is it more important for you just to come with an attitude of surrender before the Lord knowing that you're born again but knowing there's unconfessed sin in your life and you come before him in a serious way and say you know Lord I know that I haven't lived according to the standard that you've given for me to live my life I want to confess to you right now that I'm a sinner and I need you daily to walk with me and I need daily to be in communion with you and I need daily to think about your glory and not just my own pleasure or my own comfort or whatever. That's how, see, if you're getting annoyed constantly by things, you're thinking more about how you feel than about who he is. Especially 
in light of all that we've read right here. So I'm going to ask you right now just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. We need to conclude. But I want to give you an opportunity to get to make it all right with the Lord. And it's not a, a long, drawn-out thing. It's not something that you have to go through some strange gyration to make happen. Um, but here it is. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, you need to do that today. And you can right here in this gymnatorium, we call it. How about that? <laughs> it's a wonderful place to worship, isn't it? So as you're sitting there with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if there's a need in your life for salvation, then you need to just pray right now and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I know that I've been in charge of my life, and I know that I can do nothing to make my sin right before you, and that it can only be made right because of what Christ did for me on the cross. And personalize it for me. Don't say for us, for you. Jesus died for you. You see? And right now, just say this to the Lord. Right now, I want to ask you to come into my life and save me. And then say, help me to live for you. Now, there's no magic in these words. It's not the words that save you. It's the attitude of your heart. These words reflect an attitude. That's why I can give them to you. You can say it any way you want to say it, but those are the elements. You need to come to the point of surrender where you say, you know, Lord, I've, I've sort of messed this thing up. I want you to be in charge of my life. Please come into my life and save me. Now, if you've already done that, if you're born again and you're, you know that, and you've believed the right things, but you're just you're, you're doubting your salvation or you're concerned about your salvation or you, you just have this lack of assurance, maybe what you need to do, even right now where you're sitting, is just confess to the Lord. Lord, I know in this situation, at my job, in my marriage, as a parent, as a child, all these things. I know that I have not surrendered to your will for my life. And if there is a specific sin you need to, you know, you need to make right, then make it right. But right now, come before the Lord and just say, I want to confess these things. You know, in 1 John 1, 9, it says that we, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us, which is the really great word, from all unrighteousness. And then deal with it as if it's done. There's no need for us to forgive ourselves. That's nowhere to be found in Scripture. Um, the idea of forgiving myself. The idea of receiving the forgiveness that God grants is in the Scripture. And that's what you and I need to do. We need to receive and live according to what God says is true about us. So if we have been forgiven, then we just need to act like it and walk like it. So we're going to sing a song, and if you feel the need to come and share with your pastor the decision you've made today, do it. If you just need to come down to the front here and kneel and pray and, and, and just talk to the Lord in a public way, you know, that's a wonderful thing. Um, but just respond according to obedience, in accordance to the obedience that you sense in your life to the Lord. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for these folks. And, the decisions that are being made right now. Lord, I just pray your blessing on each life here. Thank you for the privilege that's mine to be able to share with them during this time, Lord. I just pray that each one of us would do nothing more than just obey at this very moment in time. If confession uh, of sal to, unto salvation is needed, that it would be done. 
if confession unto uh, repentance from sin needs to be done, that it would be done, Lord. Help us all just to walk in obedience in this very moment. And I pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.